Dave. And I'm Rob. And welcome to the Doctor Who Show Series 11 Hot Take Reviews live from Australia. Well recorded, but <laughs> it's live to you and me, Rob. How are you? Exactly. I, I am really here, Dave. I am, I am here. I am well. Yes, and I literally closed iViewer about three and a half minutes ago from watching The Woman Who Fell to Earth, also known as The Egg of Terror. <laughs> very good i can say i closed iview on the television i watched it with my wife uh probably about 15 minutes ago but that's the second time i've seen it today dave oh well you're uh, you have the advantage of me it'll be interesting to see whether there's anything that you picked up the second time around that i note mm, i watched it once today at work uh on my on my phone literally i watched iview on my phone i have an i an iphone plus an 8 plus so it's, it's a fairly large screen but it wasn't the best experience but i just had to see it and then i watched it again tonight excellent so rob yes jodie whittaker is the doctor she Her is first episode has been broadcast it has you've watched it twice what did you think I thought, and I've got to be very careful with my words because I only play all my cards up front, Dave, but I think that was a competent, nay, good introduction story. Okay, that's actually very similar, I think, to my views. I'll, <laughs> I'll be a tiny bit more expansive and then we can just smash into this. Okay. I, I agree it was a very good episode. Uh, I wasn't throwing my arms in the air, punching the air, excited by it. However, I totally get why somebody, particularly a fan, would be. Mm -hmm. And if people are, and I think a lot of people are, totally understand why, totally with them, uh, particularly young fans, particularly new fans. Um, I certainly didn't think that it was bad, but I can see things in there that if some people did think it was bad, I could understand and empathise with their opinion as well. And I'm... Not in the middle. I'm, I'm more to the good than the bad side. I'm sort of, you know, a bit further that way. But I really do see how this could play out in different ways for different people. Mm. You are right, though, Rob. This is such an introductory episode. Uh, like the pilot, like uh, Rose, like the Christmas Invasion, it's very much in that family. Oh, absolutely. And I, I need to say up front, I have a problem with episodes like this in general across the board, whether it's, I don't know, Big Bang Theory or, or, or pick any show that has sort of a pilot episode. Buffy even. I adore Buffy, but it has very much a pilot episode as well. And it introduces the concepts and the friends and all of that sort of stuff. And I guess it's because I'm a fan and I already know who the friends are. I know who the companions are going to be. I, I just want to get on with things. For that reason, introductory stories always sit a bit oddly with me. Probably the big exception would be The 11th Hour with Smithy. I watched that and at the end of it I thought, I think I've just watched something very special there. That's probably the exception in New Who for me. Uh, I'm totally with you. I think we can really only assess the woman who fell to earth as an introductory story, and I think a lot of the faults that I'm going to identify with it do stem from it being an introductory story, and that's why, you know, in terms of judging Jodie's Doctor and in terms of judging the new series, we can't remotely start to do that because, you know, imagine judging Pertwee by Spearhead from Space or Tom by Robot, and goodness, imagine judging Capaldi by his first two episodes where he was terrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And look, I said this... 
last night on the Doctor Who Club of Australia's uh, Facebook, they went on there and put a, a message up saying, look, in the next 24 hours you'll see the episode. Some people might like it, some people might not. Let's be respectful, blah, 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 blah. And I sort of tagged in there and, and jumped in and said, yeah, and look, for, for the love of all that's holy... Don't judge the whole series for good or bad based on this one episode we're about to watch. You'll do yourself and the show a disservice, I think. Yeah, I agree. So if I could perhaps use an example here to sort of kick our discussion off, but but move from exactly that point. Looking at the three, what I assume are now going to be the regular characters, um, Ryan, Graham and Yaz, mm. I thought they were all very well realised. I thought they were all very well acted. Um, Ryan particularly, I thought he was very well acted. And they they all have some sort of background and a sense of humanity. We know, you know, they went to school together or we know they have this background, etc. It's not fully fleshed out, but there's, there's some good stuff there that I was enjoying and thought was worthwhile. Yes. On the other hand, they had a lot of really clunky dialogue. Lots of, as you know, I've been married to your grandmother for two years. Or, <laughs> oh, you went to school with me and that's right. I, like, there's lots of really clunky dialogue. And that, to me, kind of sums up this episode. A lot to love, but... This kind of introductory stuff did pull it back a little bit. Um, resonate with you, Rob? Uh, look, I, I agree with everything you just said. How did you feel when Jody would launch into, you know, it's all about change and you've got to respect what you were before and you can become anything. And it's like, yeah, we know this is a metaphor for the show, Chibnall. Please just move on. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, look, very similar. And and again, Jody's a really good example. There were lots of really cool lines, lots of incredibly cool moments, lots of great stuff from Jody and from the Doctor. Totally enjoyed it. But yeah, every sort of 10 minutes or so, there'd suddenly be a moment of, I'm now going to explain the concept to the audience. And that's fine. I get it. I yeah. accept it. If you're going to have a jumping on episode, and this this really has to be a jumping on episode, I have to put my you know 30-something years of fandom in a box and accept that some people have never seen a sonic screwdriver before, that some people don't know what a time lord is. That's fine. It's another example of how you and I can assess the episode and go, okay, that was a bit tiresome for us, but we're not knocking it, and, no, and we no. accept that a new audience member would have totally appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And, and before we go any further, in case people are out there thinking, oh, my God, Rob, Rob hated it. Oh, Rob, what are you doing? No, I actually thought she was great, and there were many, many fun bits in the story that I, that I really liked. Um, it's just these introductory stories... As you say, we're, we're fans. They're not entirely for us. Um, I'm really looking forward to next week and the week after that, you know, once things get going. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a uh, sight into the not-too-distant future. When we get to our sports desk, Rob, and the sports desk will be back, folks. <laughs> when we get to our sports desk, both my play of the day and my foul of the day are going to be Jodie Whittaker moments. Yeah, oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. So, yeah, look, it's very focused on the intro. Let's talk a bit more about the Doctor. What did you think just of what we know of the 13th Doctor, Rob? Or, or do we know the 13th Doctor now? Well, she makes it pretty clear that she's still she's still cooking, Dave, you know? And, and, I know. And she's still maybe relying on her past selves and she's still finding herself. So we might not have seen her to her full extent, but even still, what I saw, whether she was being a bit Matt Smith-like or whether she's being a bit Capaldi-like, I, I didn't mind it at all. And do you know what? When she fell through that train roof and the Doctor Who theme started... And it was like a Bond movie all of a sudden. <laughs> I got very, very excited. And I actually wish the theme had gone a bit longer. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they feel the need to not have the Doctor 
pretty much all together and in their personality by about, you know, 15 minutes into a one-hour episode. Um, Pertwee is the Doctor by part two of Spearhead from Space. Tom is the Doctor by about 10 minutes into Robot. Mm. It's kind of only from JNT onwards that suddenly we have this thing where the Doctor can't be the Doctor straight away and he has to have post-regenerative enoughness. And Yeah, oh, I'm woozy, oh. Yeah, I, I didn't need any of that and and I don't think that a new viewer needed that either. Why not just give the new viewer the, the character straight away? I mean, if you're doing a new series of Star Trek, you don't have the captain come in and be... You know, on happy pills for the first episode, and then you realise what the the, the 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 captain's like next one. I don't I don't know why Chibnall chose to do it, and I would have thought as a fan who, you know, is on record as uh, not being a huge fan of the John Nathan Turner era, <laughs> I would have thought that any hint of J and T post regenerative script annoyances would have been gone. I was really curious that he did that. Yeah. That little rant aside. She was incredibly doctorish. She yes. was incredibly likable. Yes. Uh, she was a little bit... How can I put this? She was a little bit manic for my liking, and I, I wonder if that's going to be a post-regen thing that gets pulled back. Mm-hmm. And again, and maybe this is a point I'm going to make a couple of times or, or something that's going to be a bit of a theme for my comments, most of her dialogue was good, but she had some incredibly clunky lines that were sort of like somebody sitting there going... Look, I like this moment, but um, is it doctorish enough? You need you probably need to add more doctorishness in this one, and mm. you know, sort of overspicing it a little bit. Yeah, I see that absolutely. You know, hey, hey, kids, this is a doctorish moment. <laughs> but but again, I think we're both well not dancing around this topic. I think we're saying it pretty clearly. It seems we're we're both enjoying what she's doing on the whole, even though we can spot these. Issues and again, we've only seen one episode. Yeah, there were some some lovely moments there. I think her first interaction on the train was really really good. Uh, there's another moment I'm going to mention because it is my, my play of the week later on. Uh, I thought most of her confrontation with the monster was really good. I thought the way that she was allowed to have a bit of alien knowledge, but also worked the plot through with the audience was a perfect balance. And and she was engaging as a, as an actress. Um, so. All, all very good things. I just don't think her personality is quite settled yet, and I don't think her dialogue is quite settled yet. And I suspect, like a lot of this stuff, when they when they relax into the series, and she relaxes into the character, that that will improve. I'm very confident about that. Yeah, you know, uh, in past series, we've known a bit more about how it was filmed and what went down and such. This one was a bit shrouded in mystery. So I don't know if she recorded this one first or whether this was the one she recorded second or third. You know, I think Smithy got to record first with his uh, Angels story. And I don't think he recorded the 11th hour until his second or third outing or or something. Certainly Davo didn't record Castrovalva first and, and so on. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't have an answer to that either. Yeah, no idea. It was <laughs> you, you shrouded it in a mystery too well, Chivers. We we don't know the answer here. <laughs> that's okay. Um, what points have you got for us, Rob? Dave, my, my points go all over the place. I liked, as you mentioned a moment ago, her encounters with the alien. I loved the way she called him Tim Shaw, even though he had a slightly different name. And she's going, Tim, Tim Shaw? Tim Shaw? <laughs> <laughs> I found that quite funny and not too over the top. And I and believe the actor was actually credited as Tim Shaw in the credits. You're kidding. <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> I think 
as a as a uh, adversary for a first outing for a doctor i think it was pretty good usually the doctor's up against something a bit naff especially in new who for their first outings you know sort of these one-off you know monsters that we never see again uh i thought this was better than say the scovox blitzer in uh, the caretaker episode with capaldi you know and i think it was better than some of the ones we've seen in the past but it wasn't top shelf it wasn't like a fantastic adversary they don't waste those in stories like this in my notes, Rob, I've written down the word monster with two exclamation marks and three underlines, which is a reflection of just how excited I was at like, oh, cool, there's a conventional Doctor Who monster in this, and mm. God, that's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I, I completely agree, and, and I think it was, as I say, it's done better than recent ones, um, but just not quite top shelf, but I wasn't expecting that in this episode. No, and, and I just want to make note of a few antecedents that I did note as I was sort of watching this episode unfold with the monster. Um, the first thing I said when I saw his appearance was, oh my God, it's the game from Babylon 5. <laughs> um, and then when he started speaking, I thought it was the Hudson android from the um, Red Dwarf episode last day, you know, the one that comes to replace Crichton. Yes. Um, and then when they did mention that uh, it had taken the tooth, I thought, ah, they're doing Predator. And this is going to be a hunt. So I, I snapped onto that really quite quickly. And that, I think, does make the point that, again, this is really aimed to be incredibly accessible to a general audience and particularly to a younger audience. I think they really are stretching hard and, 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 and admirably so to get that younger audience in there. Somebody who wouldn't sit there and go, they're doing Predator. They'll sit there and go, oh, cool, what's he doing the tooth? And, and, and that idea of the hunt. You know, imagine not having seen the Predator and then seeing this for the first time. And the cool monster and the teeth and the reveal of the face and all that sort of thing and killing the guy with the salad. They were great moments that I think I, I kind of enjoyed as just a fan of kooky sci-fi. Yeah. But I imagine a 10-year-old would really enjoy. Do we need to start a Chibnall body count? Yeah, I wonder that because for an episode that was in some ways very lighthearted and kind of little funny lines and little quibs and all that sort of thing and, you know, throwing bikes off mountains, the death toll was surprisingly high. So we have the train driver. Yep. We have Salad Guy, who you mentioned. We have uh, Grace. Yes. uh, When she falls. And, And... do you think it's clever, the episode title? Grace was the woman who fell to earth, not the Doctor. Uh, I did. The only problem is that when you have four regular characters and you know only three of them make it to episode two... Yes. You kind of know what Grace's fate is going to be from the start. Uh, I don't know how well known it was to the general audience that only three of them make it, but I think certainly you and I, Rob, were very aware that... Grace is not in episode two. And unless she was going to be that, you know, Rose's mother character that comes back maybe at the end of the series, which it seemed unlikely given that Graham was her husband. Yeah, look, I thought that was maybe a possibility at first because obviously I was thinking these exact same thoughts. But the more she was the adventurous go get him one, I thought, yeah, she's going to die because she can't be around while we've still got Graham possibly having to have a bit of an arc where he maybe gets a bit braver or something like that. We can't have her around while he's doing that. No, and and nor could we have Graham going, I'll get in the TARDIS and go on an adventure, and her going, nah, that's not for me, I'll be sitting at home. Like, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it didn't work out there. So, yeah, that, that to me, the, her death was less impactful than it should have been because I picked it from about minute two. Um, in contrast, however, to the other death, which is the security guard granddad who gets to do the whole 
you know, I'm, I'm really fond of my grandkid and it's really nice you're calling granddad and I really appreciate yeah. it. Well, that's and number four for our body count. And then just brutally slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which, again, you know, for, for a show that is going for a very family, kid-friendly tone, these were moments of real um, nastiness. And, and it, I like it. And it's mm. going to be interesting to see, though, if they continue to have that sort of um, diarchy of tones, you know, family-friendly, kid-friendly, light and entertaining and fluffy on one hand, and then moments of real brutality, uh, or if it's going to go in one direction or the other, uh, or, or, or both depending on episodes. But I, I thought there was a real contrast in there that worked for me, but seemed to be pulling in different directions. Yeah. And as I say, that was uh, that was death number four. I think it was four deaths total for the episode. Yeah, that's no, no. The um, the guy, uh, the guy who stole the egg. Oh, of course. Okay, five. <laughs> Do I hear six? <laughs> five deaths for Chibnall in this um, opening episode. And we're assuming Tim Shaw survives. I think he did. I mean, Jody. That was very interesting. Jody got upset with that chap for kicking him off the uh, the gantry. And saying that wasn't your, you know, right to do that. I thought that was a very doctorish thing to do, you know, sticking up for the baddie, essentially. But I think he disappeared rather than died. I think he sort of dematerialized somehow. Yeah. So in that case, we'll, we'll lock it in at five, unless uh, anybody out there says we've missed one, and feel free to tweet us, and we'll update you next week. <laughs> now, Dave, um, Ryan's disability, dyspraxia. Uh, this is like a lack of coordination. Um, what did you make of this? I have my thoughts, but I'll give you the first bite at it. Uh, this to me actually felt very Sydney Newman. Okay. It felt very uh, educational uh, without without being a... And kids, today's episode will be brought to you by dyspraxia. Mm. It was very um, such that an audience, particularly a younger audience, would walk away having learned something. And, and I thought that's actually very traditional Doctor Who. Yeah, no, that that's an excellent point, and I, I can buy into that completely. I, I made the point that I think it's really good to have in the show in general. I think kids can learn from it too. But don't let it become a predictable plot point. Conversely, let's not forget it, and I don't think they will. I mean, they showed him at the end there just absolutely slamming into the ground time and time again off his bike. Um, so I don't think they'll forget it, but at the same time, I don't want every episode to hinge on ryan having to swing across a chasm or ryan having to walk across a tightrope or you know something where his yeah. dyspraxia will he or won't he fall because you know he's got dyspraxia kids let's not let that become the, the 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 trick with ryan in every episode you know that that's my only fear with that otherwise i think it's great to have disability in the show yeah, you want him to be a guy who one of whom's characteristics is he's got dyspraxia, not he's the guy with dyspraxia, guys. Yeah, exactly. It was a very action-packed episode of Doctor Who, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. One of my wife's main comments afterwards was, hey, that moved really well, the pacing was really good, even when I wasn't too sure about things, it just kept moving and carried me along. Yeah, look, I did feel it could be tighter. I, I'm not a fan of these six to three minute episodes, which I believe, and it could be a rumor, but I believe that's so they're eligible to be shown in cinemas in certain countries. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know if that's just a, a, apocryphal or urban legend, but I believe that's why all these first ones have to be over sixty minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought that this would have been better at fifty or forty-five. Uh, there was stuff in there I would have cut, uh, particularly the first fifteen minutes that could have been cut down quite a bit in my view uh particularly some of that really clunky 
uh, as you well know, dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but that's that's okay. Um, I thought this looked great. I thought the colour scheme and the way that it was filmed, particularly at day, was really good. The, the night filming was really good. Do you know, I think the pod looked a bit cheesy in daylight. Under artificial light, when, when that kid got it into his garage, um, I thought it looked really, really good. But out in the daylight, I wasn't sure whether it was the colours or something about it. It just looked really fake. Interesting. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as being really out of place. Okay. That's like two sides of the same coin, I think. Yeah. Um, yes, it looked fake, but it looked fake because it was unnatural. Yes, I can go with that. So, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. So let me let me just explore this, this issue now, Rob, of my big negative with the episode. There are, there are minor faults in introductory thing. I felt that the biggest problem with this episode was some of the clunky dialogue and the stilted plot points. There was just a little bit too much dialogue that felt unnatural and moments that felt unnatural. One really good example was the guy whose computer was on with the If I'm Dead video all sitting there waiting to be viewed. It just felt too cheap, too easy, and there were too many of those little, little things. I get maybe that they're keeping the plot very simple for a new audience, and that's okay. I'm not smashing this episode for it, but I hope this doesn't continue, and it's going to be something I'm now on the alert for. Being too harsh, or are you with me? Well, at the same time, do we necessarily want it to go into really overly complex arc-type things where arcs overlap over arcs, and at the end of three or four years, you're just so confused, and you realise half the arcs haven't been tied up, um, and you get upset. You know, it's it's like, do we want too simple, or do we want arc? I guess no, yeah, we want somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. And particularly if you can l- let the characters be a little bit more complex or do something. For example, Yaz, who was very good in the first 15 minutes but then really kind of vanished from the plot a little bit i agree with that actually that could have been a really good moment for her you know they find the body they find some id on it and she says hang on i i remember that name that's right his sister vanished three years ago there was a missing hunt person hunt when i first joined the police da 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 oh and join those dots you know the predator got her etc etc that to me would have been a level of interest more than hey he's left a video here that says if i'm dead i mean that you yeah. can avoid the cliche a little bit can't <laughs> i actually like that idea yes there was, there was a missing person hunt and then the doctor turns around and says a hunt and oh perfect dave that writes itself it, it does so th- that's the example of where I, I don't know to what extent it was a deliberate choice to just go, you know what, we're keeping this plot mega simple. Yeah. And in future episodes, we'll see an escalation and, and, and more complexity. If that's the case, then I totally will, will buy into this and accept that that's the first episode and that's what happens. If in three or four weeks, Rob, we're sitting here and I'm going, wow, this is still really, really simple. Mm. I may be a little disappointed. Oh, look, and I, th- I think that's completely fair. Um, you know, all we've got to do now is sit back and wait and see what happens. It's all we can do, really. Yeah. I wanted to bring up, Dave, the music. And I don't think we'll talk about the theme music yet, but just the music in the episode. And again, I'll I'll refer to my wife here. At the end of the episode, she said, I liked the music in that. It was atmospheric. I I thought it was good. I actually didn't notice the music until the crane scene, Mm. at which point I suddenly thought, oh, this is actually really good. 
And I think that in a television show, what you want in the music is for the bulk of it to just be in the background and accompanying the image, but to to turn the dial up a little bit for the more dramatic moments. And I think this is exactly what happened. I, the music was not intrusive. It was it was very background. It wasn't noticeable in a good or a bad way. But for those dramatic moments, like the stuff on the cranes, suddenly it ratcheted up a bit and it's telling you the drama's going up and it's giving you a bit of a music. And I thought, ooh, this mm. is really, really nicely done. This is really classy. Yeah, look, I, I, I agree. And I'll point out there is, before the crane scene, a really good bit of music. Uh, and that's when she's making the sonic screwdriver. I noticed the music there, especially the second time around. Uh, okay, I didn't so much, mainly because I was kind of just like going, oh, for God's sake, it's a sonic screwdriver scene. <laughs> uh, look, that's, that's me. Uh, look, look, Rob, I think I'm on the record as being very cynical about the sonic screwdriver. I totally imagine fans at home and kids at home would have been jumping up and down and cheering at that scene. And that's fantastic. They're going to go out there. They're going to buy Jody's Sonic Screwdriver. They're going to play within the playground. And they're going to come back and watch next week. And that's fantastic. It just wasn't my favourite scene. But that's because I'm a cynical old bastard and it's not all about me. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a cynical old bastard too. But I didn't mind that scene for one main reason. I'm surprised you might have overlooked this, Dave. In the past few series of who the at least the past two sonic screwdrivers the tardis has magically created it for the doctor and i think in 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 smithy's case it even popped it up out of the console like here have a gift and i thought that was so cheesy next in the range of products that you can buy kids i've produced yeah 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 exactly whereas here the doctor was like what have i got and scrounges around in this you know man cave in this garage finds some bits and pieces and forges this thing actually out of Sheffield steel heats up all those old spoons and cutlery to get the Sheffield steel and I thought this is the doctor actually making something and that's kind of cool yeah look you're right to pull me up on that because I actually did write that down in my my doctor notes yes it was really good to see the doctor being technical and hands-on and and playing with circuitry yeah so that that aspect of it was really really cool um I just had images of the episode ending and then kids, Jody's sonic screwdriver is available for nine pounds, 99 at all good toy stores. And that, that, that to me brought the moment down. But again, that's about me, not about the show. And I totally get why. And the kids will love it. Good on them. Great. I, I did like though, where she stepped out, lit up the screwdriver and it went out almost straight away. And she gave a little, Ooh, <laughs> I actually laughed out loud at that moment. Uh, yeah, that, that actually wasn't too bad. Um, the moment that I laughed out loud at was when Carl decides he has to go and run away from the, the monster and he pops his head up and before he goes and does it, he puts his hard hat on. Yes. That, that was a laugh out loud moment for me. I really enjoyed that. I hope that's not the last we've seen of Carl. I hope if they go back to Sheffield that they somehow bump into him again. Uh, I thought the actor was really good, but I thought he was a bit of a one-note character and... If he comes back, I'd like some more notes. Okay. While we're chatting here, Dave, do you know I've actually got the overnights for this episode? Uh, no, I didn't. The overnights, Dave, 8.2 million or 40.1% share. That's very impressive. It is, isn't it? I thought it was going to be about nine, but others on you said six, so it's, it's fallen at the upper end of that guess. Yeah, and look, to be straight down the line and fair about this... 
we expected this. This is the first for a new Doctor, first for a new showrunner, first female Doctor, etc. Of course, first on a Sunday night. First on Sunday night. Of course, there's going to be that interest factor, that different day. Of course, this first episode is going to be huge. But I think if they can hold within a million of this, say if they stick around seven million, you know, three, four, five episodes in, geez, they might be onto something. Yeah, that that is a really impressive. And if they can. You know, I mean, I mean, the series will likely slide as it goes on. That happens with TV shows and maybe peak at the end. But yeah, if they can sort of stay north of six, that would actually be really, really impressive. I mean, that would be a loss of about 25%. That would be okay. Uh, it's still yeah. well up on where they've been. E- e- exactly right. So yeah, the retention factor is going to be really interesting. And, and 40% shares are a really cool figure. And, and of course, you know, we all know that goes up with... Um, uh, additional viewing and all the other things that go on. Although, how many of those be people like yourself, Rob, who've watched it twice? Yeah, well, indeed. <laughs> uh, but but to, to, to make that point, I mean, something we've been saying, I know, for about 18 months on the Doctor Who show is the idea that if Doctor Who's going to be appointment viewing that, that brings an audience in for an evening as a family viewing show, which it wasn't doing in the, the Saturday slot anymore. That, that's, that's a reality. You can defend mm. it all you want and say, well, it was getting an extra million viewers on... No, no, that, that's fine. But if, if its role is to get viewers watching the BBC of an evening around the campfire, so to speak, then this has at this stage achieved that mission and the move to Sunday has been totally, totally validated. Oh, I, I completely concur. No, it's, it's really interesting to see where this will go. So, Dave, we, we've talked a bit about each of the companions in different ways you were just mentioning that Yaz sort of started off strongly petered out a bit you've mentioned that Ryan was interesting I've mentioned Ryan's dyspraxia and we've mentioned a bit about Graham out of the three are you picking uh, a favorite at this point in time or or one that you can that you think you might you know sort of come to to really like over time Uh, at this stage would definitely be Ryan I think he was very interesting character and, and the best actor of the three okay I'm gonna go with Graham Okay. Not just because it's the name of my cat, but, <laughs> but uh, I think he might just have that slightly cynical edge, that slightly, oh, you're having a laugh kind of thing. I know they don't say that up in Sheffield. That's more of a, a, a London thing, but um, you know what I mean. The, his whole, there's no such thing as aliens. Well, that's been put paid, but I'm sure there are other things he doesn't believe in and other things he'll be c- cynical and, and disbelieve. And I think that, that's kind of fun. I didn't dislike Graham. Don't take this criticism too far. But I was worried a little bit too often he had the same criticism I had of Nardle, but in a very different way. Mm. That idea of he's the one we give the wise crack to. He's he's there to be the funny one. All right. Okay. Yeah. And, and possibly that's how it will play out. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm very careful about saying that because he did have some very good emotional moments and, you know, really, he wasn't badly acted at all. I, I thought Ryan was better, but, you know, that's... You've got to rank him, and somebody comes first, somebody comes second. Yeah. Uh, but but I did worry that just a few too many times. I was like, "Are you just going to be the gag guy?" Mm. And 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 I hope that that's not the case. I think that they can do more with him. Yeah. But you know, it's it, it's the first episode. That's right. And look, as the series goes on, I'm sure we'll be saying, "Oh, well, this was the Ryan episode. This was the Graham episode." You know, at least I'm assuming that's what we'll be saying because that's how these things tend to play out. So they'll probably all get a go in one way or another. Yeah, and, and there'll all be moments where they're the one that is with the Doctor in the A plot and the other two will go off and have a B plot or maybe they'll be split and have a C plot and all that sort of thing. Uh, speaking of, we haven't mentioned the TARDIS. 
No, we haven't because it didn't come back. Uh, yes, uh, that's an interesting creative choice for me. I do like the idea that if you're going to relaunch a series with a lot of change in terms of cast and tone and feel and music, which there was, mm. I would have liked the familiarity of the police box there. Okay, maybe they're trying not to overwhelm the audience. But 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 I guess but that's my argument though that if you're overwhelming the audience and you're going there is a lot of change isn't isn't a police box even just just the image of it, you know maybe at the at the end or something or that just reassures an audience and brings them back to oh, all this is Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, but then we've got to play the game of oh it's bigger on the uh, inside than the outside and oh what's a police box and you know it's like oh yeah but if you're going to do it do it in this episode because <laughs> we, we, we've already said this episode wasn't as good as it could have been because it had to do the introductory stuff yeah. so do, get it all out of the way yeah rip the band-aid off yeah, yeah okay yeah. Mm. Um, look we, we obviously have different views on that and um, I will be interested to hear our audiences view on that um, particularly as I suspect a lot of our audience obviously are ongoing fans did they miss the familiarity of the police box or were they just along for the ride and didn't even notice mm. well look on that note dave shall we take a step over to the sports desk i've been looking forward to this back we go here we go Right, Rob, we are here at the Doctor Who Show Sports Desk. Oh, it's a bit dusty. <laughs> it is a bit. It's been since Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we have our three categories plus our score to give out. So, Rob, for those who are new to the Doctor Who Show's hot take reviews and have not visited the Sports Desk with us before, uh, we have three categories, and I'll explain them each as we go. The first is our play of the week, which is for the moment or the event, or an act, or a line, or, 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 or a play in the episode that you thought was the real highlight. Rob, what was your play of the week? Dave, mine was anytime Jodie Whittaker did some physical comedy. And we, we spoke about her holding up the sonic screwdriver and it going out and her giving a little, ooh. Um, but just the way she was moving, uh, the way she was quite comedic throughout the episode without being over the top she wasn't in sort of matt smith territory i just thought yes i can already see i think what chibnall saw in her on the Broadchurch set when she'd be you know mucking around and making people laugh and being a bit goofy i can sort of see that and i think i like it interesting very very reasonable my play of the week is actually very similar and it's the moment where the doctor confronted with the dna bombs identifies them, looks around at what everyday objects she has to combat it, and then reaches for the mobile phone and does doctory stuff to it to then be able to use them to go and track the monster. Yeah. I thought that was a really good doctor moment without being a forced doctor moment. It was the doctor using modern technology. This is this is the equivalent of Pertwee rewiring the radio to go and do something else. Or you know, it, It's that sort of thing, and I thought it was really good, really doctorish. It explained the threat to the audience in a really good way without talking down to them. And I thought that was a really good moment. And for me, it was the doctor's best moment. What did you make of the fact that Ryan sort of figured out what she was doing straight away? Uh, and again, that was a really strong moment for him as well. Yeah, mm. I, that, that whole sequence to me was really, really good. Mm, okay, then. Moving on to our foul of the week, Dave. Yeah, so this is a moment where, look, 
we're not criticizing the whole episode for it, but it's a weak moment we think needs to be expanded. Uh, so I'll go first, and it's actually a moment you've already mentioned, Rob. Okay. It's the, you had no right to do that moment. You're kidding. Because of two things. Firstly, the Doctor having just effectively, uh, not not killed because he does make the point that he had the choice and he detonated the thing, etc., etc. But she has set it up, and, and it's implied that those things are fatal, so she has set him up to die and he's sort of dying and to then turn around to the guy who kicks him over the thing and go, well, it's all right when I do it, but not when you do it, didn't sit well with me. And I also thought it was just a little bit too forced as a doctor moment. And it just to me felt like doctor by numbers. Mm. And, it, and, it, and it, it, it just grated me the wrong way, which is a shame because I thought the whole concept of using the monsters trick against them was incredibly doctorish and it was doctorish without being forced and it was doctorish without big signs that said look this is doctorish and I thought that's really cool and doctorish and then to have the other line I just thought oh too far mm, my take was that the doctor had obviously wired him up with the bombs and would detonate them if she had to uh, but was telling him to go just go home and if he would just leave then they wouldn't go off, they wouldn't be detonated, uh, everything would be fine. So I think by him, Carl, kicking the uh, the alien off the, uh, the gantry, Carl was very definitely trying to kill the monster, whereas the Doctor was giving it a chance. It was threatening with, with bombs, <laughs> you know, and, and would kill it if she had to, but I think was giving more of a chance than kicking off the gantry, which is giving it no chance. I totally get that reading of it, and I think it's a correct reading of it, and I will be not at all surprised if a number of listeners say to me, Dave, that's really unfair, you've misread the scene, that's not how it should be. That That's cool. All I can do is I can tell you how I felt. And when I had that moment, it grated on me. I thought it was just too far and a little mm. bit hypocritical. Oh, look, I think it's there to really signpost what the Doctor's like for new viewers. I think it was there for a reason, for sure. Yep, yep. No, I, I accept all of that. It just fell short for me. Okay. My Foul Dave takes place around the same same part of the episode, actually, up on that uh, crane. And it's where the Doctor decides to do a big run-up and jump. And in my brain, this went into slow motion. When I watched it the second time, I realized it didn't. But it just seemed so cheesy that mm-hmm. the doctor backed up and then started running. And I thought, oh my God, no, no, don't, no. <laughs> this is really cheesy. And it was probably the only cheesy moment in the whole episode. So it's got to be my foul of the week. Uh, yeah, I can respect that. I think it would have been my foul had she sort of miraculously made a physically impossible leap. Mm. The fact that she fell short and then had the gag about the the legs being too short, I mean, it's, oh, okay, you're regenerating. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't great, but I thought that did at least save it from, you know, had she suddenly leapt, you know, tall buildings in a single bound. That would have been my foul, but it fell short. But no, I get, I get where you're coming from that one. Yeah. All righty. Finally... Finally, our player of the week. And I think this one is fairly straightforward. The character, production unit member or actor who you thought was the player of the week, the most valued player, mm-hmm. the one that's getting to keep the ball at the end of the game. Rob, who was yours? 
For this week, Dave, it's a no-brainer. I'm giving it to Whitaker. I think she had the hardest job here, and she took to the role well. I think the others each had challenging roles in their own way, but I think it's a lot safer to step into the role of Yaz or the role of Ryan and just do a good acting job in it than actually stepping into the shoes of the Doctor and being the first woman to step into the shoes of the Doctor and be playing the Doctor in a post-regeneration episode, etc., etc., I, th- I think it's got to be Whitaker. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm the same. I, I started off about 20 minutes in. I was like, okay, this is going to be Whitaker. 20 minutes later, I was sort of, I'm going to hang and going, oh, I'm really liking what Ryan's doing here. Do I give it to him? But then in the end, I, I agree with you. You can't not give it to Whitaker. She did land in this part. And, and for me, the thing that sums it up most is that I like Jodie Whitaker as the Doctor more at the end of this episode than I liked Peter Capaldi at the end of his first episode. And if that's the benchmark you're passing, then, yeah, that's a pretty impressive start. Wow, that that's really impressive. I've got to say, I didn't mind Capaldi after his first episode. I think it was after his second that I was a bit shaken. Was that the Dalek one, the second one? The second one was the Dalek one. I, I went from being not sure about Capaldi to being quite disliking of Capaldi after the second one. Um, so hopefully Jodie clears that bar next week. But... <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I I was a lot more comfortable with her than I was Capaldi, and if she's you know, performing better than Capaldi after an hour, well, kudos, well done. Happy to say mm. that. Now, I believe we've also got some feedback, but before we get to it, maybe we should just wrap up the episode in our own words and maybe even give it a score. For me, Dave, I think this was solid. I think there were some great moments. Um, there were some ropey moments, as, as we've discussed, but on the whole, it was solid. Of the new Who intros, I think it's behind the 11th hour for sure. Um, you know, it's probably on par with um, Deep Breath for me at least, because I didn't mind Deep Breath, but it's certainly ahead of the Christmas Invasion. Um, maybe it's on par with Rose as well. It's uh, uh, What I'm getting at is that it wasn't bad. It was, it was quite all right, you know, compared to the other introduction stories for other new Who Doctors. Yeah, I'm very, very similar to you, um... I mean, we can have our different personal rankings of introductory stories, but this is definitely playing in the same field. It's definitely in the same group. Um, It's above a couple, maybe below a couple. It has done the introductory story really well. It, 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 It suffers as a story in its own right because it's doing the introductory stuff, just like Rose did, just like the Christmas Invasion did, and frankly, just like Robot did, and just like Castrovalva did. So that's fine. That's fine. It's not the best episode ever because it has things to do and it does them well. It is ticking all the boxes it needs to tick. I hope that having ticked those boxes, we now get on to some more adventures with a bit more bite. Yeah, now that's fair. For a mark out of, well, what will we do marks out of, Dave? Five or ten? If we do, oh, it, out ten. Of t- if we do it out of ten, I'm going to do half scores. If we do it out of five, I'll do whole scores. Uh, I'm going to give it a mark out of ten. Okay. And I'm going to give it a seven. I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. It, it, I think that, that sums it up for me. There, there is a lot more that this can do. Uh, the series can be better than this. I think Jodie Whittaker can be better than this. She had a good start, but there's a long way to go. Enjoyed it. Entertaining TV. Let's see what happens next week. Absolutely. I'm excited where this can go. You know, I don't want seven and a half to seem like a low score or seem like I'm not effusive. I think this was a great start. I think it's got some some really good places to go. No, a seven is me making room for what I think is going to be better down the track. Absolutely. So we've had feedback from one person 
uh, and that is a friend of the podcast, Richard. Hello, Richard. Who uh, did watch it this morning before work. Well done. And your co-host on, of course, Blake Seven Spacefall. That's absolutely right. And the Goodies Pirate Podcast. Don't forget mm. to get your Goodies DVDs and listen to our podcast all over again. Absolutely. Uh, Richard says, It's very much a set-up introductory story and thus very light with a fairly simple plot. Jodie Whittaker is actually not bad. Overall, probably holding off judgment for a few weeks until the series is really underway. Which I think is sort of said in a sentence what we've just said in 47 minutes. <laughs> yes, I would say so. So, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, good good feedback there, Richard. And people out there, if you do have feedback, just throw it through to us uh, as soon as you see the episodes and we'll try and work it into these uh, hot takes. Uh, yes, yeah, so our intention, as much as the real world and you know life doesn't get in our way, our intention is to do these on Monday evening Australian time. We may have to move some to Tuesdays sometimes, but if you work on the assumption by dinner time in, in Australia on a Monday we're recording, then you know get them in before that. Or otherwise, we'll just happily read them in the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last thing we probably have to mention is what the hell was that end of credits trailer? <laughs> Here's a bunch of actors you don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to be fascinated to hear some of our friends on a UK podcast comment on this as to whether they said, I oh, actually know there are a lot of people that a UK audience would get. I recognised a total of two names in that role, one of whom I already knew was going to be in it, and the other whom I went, really them? And was so it, it wasn't a great <laughs> intro for me. So it would have been Alan Cumming, who you know, I'm sure. Yeah. Was it Lee Mack? It was. It was? Okay. And I also know Art Malik because Art Malik's been in everything. Um, one thing I know. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Art Malik, Alec, Art Malik was one of two names that I've thought, okay, I know if I IMDb them, I have seen them in something. Yeah. But I wasn't sitting there going, I know who that is. Yeah, no, that's fair. The only other thing I noticed was how many people in that post-credits, or the credits, I should say, were from the subcontinent. Are we having an episode in Pakistan or India or something? Because there was a lot of subcontinent actors, Asian actors, in that in that spiel. That is true. And in the pre-publicity, they have talked a lot about going to back in time to some of these sort of things. So maybe we're going to see some of these sort of older empires from, from Asia or South America or something. That, that could be a clue. Yeah, look, I, I just noticed that it's, it really stood out to me. I thought there's a lot of Asian actors here, which is great, but it, it was just surprising to me how many there were. Uh, yeah, I was just too busy counting how many I knew, and it didn't take much because it got to two. <laughs> Dave, something we haven't mentioned that was playing during that scene, the new theme music. I think I like it. I'm not going to judge it until I've seen it actually roll over the title credits at the start of an episode. Yeah, I'm assuming what we were seeing with the credits, that sort of swirly background might be a hint as to what the opening credits are like. I love the use of the old theme music uh, updated. Uh, again, yeah, I think I'd like to see it in context properly, but mm, that wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I'm saying nothing more till I've seen it introduce an episode. Fair enough. Well, look, until next week, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow.net. 
facebook.com forward slash the DW show is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.